Uh, now, as we begin, I want you to think back, and we've got a variety of ages of people here today, but think back to when you were a kid. I want you to think of a show, or I want you to think of a movie that scared you, creeped you out. You got it? Okay, here's mine. Growing up in the 80s and 90s, does anybody remember this show, Unsolved Mysteries? You're like, I can hear the music right now. Yeah, as a kid, this show creeped me out, okay? Because there would be these like paranormal episodes. It'd be like ghosts or aliens or demons, you know? And I would watch this, of course, right before bedtime and then try to go to sleep as like a nine-year-old. And it's like, forget about it. And I know what some of you are thinking, uh, those of you who are younger, it's like, well, why didn't you just watch it earlier in the day? <laughs> no. See, back in the day when a show came on at eight o'clock, you had to watch it at eight o'clock. It was your only option or you missed it. So, yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, the reason I bring this up is because, you know, uh, some of the stories that we find in our Bible, they're kind of creepy. In fact, some of the encounters with Jesus that we're going to be exploring in this series are a little bit scary. Uh, actually, the one we're going to be looking at today is one of those kind of scary stories. When I was a kid growing up in the church, this one freaked me out a little bit. So let me just give you just one little bit from this story we're going to be looking at today. It comes from Mark's gospel, chapter 5, verse 9. It goes like this. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. Are you familiar with this story? Anybody heard this one? So Jesus is actually talking to a guy who's possessed by a demon. Okay, I told you it's a scary story, but, but it's actually worse than that because the demon says we are legion. And what's a legion? Well, here's a picture, uh, a Roman uh, soldier was a legionnaire. They were part of a military unit called a legion. How many soldiers, soldiers do you think were in a Roman legion? Five or 6,000. This story is creepy, right? Jesus is talking to a guy possessed by like 5,000 plus demons. That, my friends, is scary. Now, something that I can almost guarantee today as we walk through this very strange story is that you're not going to be bored with the details of this story. But at the same time, you're probably going, okay, it might not be boring, but it doesn't feel very relevant. Because at least to the best of my knowledge, I don't have any demons. <laughs> okay, and maybe that's true. But this is a story of Jesus confronting darkness in a man. And for this particular guy, it's a demonic darkness. And you might not have demonic darkness, but one thing I do know about you is that you have experienced darkness. In fact, all of us have experienced that are experiencing some kind of darkness. And so if I could ask you, what kind of darkness are you dealing with? And maybe the darkness that you're dealing with is actually what happened previously in your life. It's your past. Because there's something that happened to you, there's something that you did that honestly still haunts you to this day. Others of you, the darkness in your life, it's less about what's going on in you and actually what's going on in somebody that you care about, somebody that you love who is trapped, who is ensnared in an addiction. And you're really running out of ideas on how to help this person that you care about so much. For some of us, the darkness that we experience is in our minds. 
because some of us experience crippling anxiety, paralyzing depression. Some of us deal with uh, toxic lust. Some of us, the darkness is in our minds. And of course, others, it's not our minds, but it is our body. Because you're dealing with a sickness, you're, you're dealing with chronic pain, and the doctors up to this point really have been unable to, to help you to provide a solution. And so, yes, it's true, you probably don't have a demon, but all of us experience darkness. And the question is, uh, if you're a person of faith, uh, how does that faith intersect with the darkness that you're dealing with? And what kind of power does Jesus have over darkness? And how might Jesus want to use the darkness that you have experienced or are experiencing for his glory in your life and in your world? These are some of the questions that we're going to explore in this story today. And something that I believe wholeheartedly is that whether we're talking about demons or darkness or both, Jesus is the solution. So a uh, three-part conversation today as we explore this uh, kind of wild story from Mark chapter 5. And the, the first part of this story I'm just calling the darkness. And uh, it begins uh, with verse 1 of chapter 5. The story starts like this. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. So what's happening here is that Jesus and his disciples, they are crossing the Sea of Galilee in a boat from uh, west to east, and they're entering into uh, this region called the Gerasenes, which was part of a larger area that was known as the Decapolis. So here's a map. Uh, just to show you, the pink is Galilee. That's where Jesus and his disciples were from. It's where most of their ministry took place. Uh, the dark blue in the middle is the Sea of Galilee. And then that lighter blue is the Decapolis region. Decapolis means 10 cities. And something that's important for us to understand about this story is that the ancient Jewish people would have viewed the Decapolis region as a land of darkness. This was not a Jewish area. This was a Roman area. Now, if you're trying to get kind of the setting in your mind, here's a picture of the east side of the Sea of Galilee. So imagine an area something like this as we walk through this story. And like I mentioned, this was not a Jewish area. It was a Roman area. And so for Jesus, this was an away game. This was enemy territory. The Jews would have seen this as a land of darkness. And that's why even today, if you were to visit this region, uh, some of the city ruins that you would find look like this. They have Roman and Greek features like theaters. This is a, a picture from a city called Scythopolis, which was one of these Decapolis cities. So this is an away game for Jesus. He has entered into a land of darkness. And the question is, why is he here? What's he doing here? And I believe the reason is that he wants to encounter somebody. So let's continue reading our story. Verse 2, when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. Not only is this a land of darkness, but now we encounter a man of darkness. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain 
for he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. This darkness that has invaded this man, it is a powerful darkness. And then verse 5, we read, Day and night among the tombs and in the hills he would cry out and cut himself with stones. It's a powerful darkness. It is a destructive darkness. It's a kind of darkness that leaves scars. Now, many of you who have walked through a season of, of darkness understand that that season of your life can leave scars, physical or emotional. Now, Mark, who is the author of this biography on Jesus' life, you know, the Gospel of Mark, he's giving us a lot of details in this story which are important for the story that he's trying to tell. And the details that he's providing for us have to do with something that Pastor Jeff brought up last week, uh, this idea of clean and unclean. Maybe you remember this from the message last week. You see, the ancient Jewish people cared very much about clean and unclean. You did not want to become unclean. If you did, it was a major deal, a huge hassle. You had to separate yourself from your family, from your village, from your place of worship. You had to go through this uh, ritual washing thing. You had to appear before a priest, and then you had to go all the way to Jerusalem to offer sacrifices. I mean, it was a mess. You did not want to become unclean. And the way that you became unclean was by contact with something or someone who was unclean. Now, the idea here is behind unclean is really, I would just say this, stay away. You don't want to be unclean because it messes up your life, so stay away. Now, this story, the details in this story, it, it, is, it is loaded with uncleanness. It is like this, everything about this situation is like radioactively unclean. Okay, it's a, it's a Roman region. Romans were unclean. You did not... You did not associate with Romans. You did not eat with them. You did not go in your, into their houses because they are unclean. So it's like stay away from Romans in Roman areas. This guy lives literally in the cemetery. And even today, like we're kind of uncomfortable with cemeteries, right? Like when I'm driving my kids around and we pass the cemetery, do you know what they do? They hold their breath. Do your kids do this? It's strange. And of course, being a dad, you know, I just slow down and like pretend I don't see it until they're like turning blue. And I'm like, oh, oh, I'm sorry. There has to be some advantages to being a father of five. <laughs> but, but the ancient Jews, they were even more serious about this because dead bodies, bones, like that's unclean. Stay away. This guy goes around cutting himself, blood, that's unclean. Stay away. And then of course, it's kind of obvious, but he's got demons those are very unclean. It's like, stay away. Everything about this guy, about this situation, about this place is all like, Jesus, you should not be here. Stay away. It's so, so unclean. And I just wonder, as we talk about uh, this idea of being unclean and staying away, I, I wonder if you ever feel like that. Like, really, Jesus should st stay away from you. And again, maybe it's because of your past. You're just going, it's messy, it's ugly, it's embarrassing, and it's oh, just, just stay away. You should really just stay away. Maybe it's your family situation. 
Like you look up dysfunctional on Wikipedia and it's like, boom, there's a picture of your family. Okay, that's rude. That's not true. But you might feel that way about your family and maybe your family really is pretty messed up and it's kind of like Jesus should just, <laughs> you should just stay away. Or maybe it's like the hidden places in your heart, your hidden thoughts, your hidden feelings, your hidden attractions, your hidden lusts. It's like, stay away, stay away. You ever feel like that? Like Jesus really should just stay away from you because you're so unworthy, you're, you're so dirty, you're so unclean. Something I love about this story is the fact that Jesus is even here in this region. Jesus got in a boat, crossed the lake, and he entered into an unclean region, an unclean place to engage with an unclean guy. And there's really no reason for him to go over here. Jewish people did not go over there. But he did it. He crossed the lake and he got out of the boat for this guy. And something I want to tell you today is I believe that Jesus would cross the lake and get out of the boat for you too. And the reason I believe that is because this story is like a metaphor for the gospel. It is a picture of the cross. Because what happened is that our God entered into our unclean and messed up world and he gave his life for you because he wanted to have an encounter with you and he wanted you to encounter him. I just believe that Jesus would cross the lake and get out of the boat for you as well. It's a picture of the gospel. And so here Jesus is in this unclean place, engaging this unclean man, and now we get to see how this interaction goes down. Verse six, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and he fell on his knees in front of him. And he shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? And then we see this uh, verbal interaction that we looked at at the beginning of our time. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. Something I think is important to notice in this story is what this guy possessed by all these demons, how he acts and how he interacts with Jesus. What does he do? He throws himself on the ground. He gets on his knees and he repeatedly begs Jesus. And you would think, okay, 5,000 plus demons versus Jesus, this would be like a battle, right? This would be like a contest. But what we see throughout this story is Jesus is in absolute and total control of this situation from start to finish. Jesus versus 5,000 plus demons is not a battle. It is not a contest. And I think it's important for us to hear because if you're, a, if you're a Jesus follower, and by that I mean like if you have placed your trust in Christ, if you have given him leadership in your life, if you are a Jesus follower, you do not need to live in fear of demons. You do not need to live in fear of demonic oppression. And it's not because you're strong. It's not because you have great faith. It's because of Jesus. 
Jesus versus 5,000 plus demons is not a battle. Jesus is in total control. And so maybe you need to remember that. Jesus has power over demons, and you do not need to live in fear of them. Our story goes on. The demons are begging Jesus not to send them out of the region. In verse 11, we read this. A large herd of pigs was feeding on a nearby hillside. Now, by the way, we talked about all the different ways that this story is loaded with uncleanness. Pigs, for the ancient Jews, you don't go around pigs, you don't eat pork. It's a herd of 2,000 pigs, that's like, this is insanely unclean. Verse 12, the demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. And he gave them permission. And the impure spirits came out, went into the pigs, and the herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. And right about now, you're going, this story is insane. And it kind of is. I mean, it is nuts. And so again, Mark is giving us these details for a reason. So what's up with the pigs? Why does this happen? I think there's something powerfully symbolic going on here. Because it's not just that Jesus encounters this impure man and purifies him by casting the demons out. It's that you have an entire region that is unclean. And it's symbolized by this vast herd of pigs and so now you got demons unclean going into pigs that are unclean, and they go cascading into the sea, which in the Jewish mindset was like the abyss. And so symbolically what's happening here is Jesus is actually cleansing the entire region. And this is important because when normal people encounter something or someone that is unclean, they get contaminated. They become unclean. But when Jesus encounters something or someone unclean, his purity powerfully purifies and makes that person or that place or that thing pure. And so what's important for us here is it's not just that Jesus came for you, even though you are unworthy and impure. It is that Jesus has the power to purify you and to cleanse you. I mean, this is the message of the cross. Jesus can forgive and purify everything you've ever done wrong, past, present, and even future. And so a question for some of us is, do you want to be clean? I mean, you think about all the things that you've done, the, the, the guilt that you carry, some of the things you don't even want to talk about, the stuff that you keep secret. Do you want to be clean? Because it's not just that he came for you, but he has the power to cleanse you. If you place your faith in his sacrifice on your behalf, you can become clean and pure. It's the message of the gospel and you need to embrace it. But this story, it's a crazy story. The thing about it is uh, when a insane demon-possessed man suddenly becomes sane and a herd of 2,000 pigs goes jumping over the cliff, 
Word tends to get around when this kind of stuff happens. So this brings us to part two of our conversation, uh, what I'm calling disruption. So here we go. We are in verse uh, 14. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. I mean, imagine being those herders and you're just watching this take place. It's like, did that just happen? Yeah. And so they take off. They run and tell everybody. Now everybody's coming. In other words, this event has gone viral. Verse uh, 15. When they came to Jesus, that is this crowd, they saw the man who had been possessed by a legion of demons sitting there, dressed, and in his right mind, and they were afraid. I just love this. It's like this whole idea is sitting there, dressed, and in his right mind. This crazy demon dude, what he, what he used to look like is this right here, okay? So he used to look like Tom Hanks in Castaway, but now encounter with Jesus, and now you got Mr. Rogers. This is the way my mind works, okay? I just like to picture him sitting there. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. I know it's, okay, but that's just how my mind works. But either way, these people are used to seeing a crazy dude, and now he's just an average guy. He's just normal. He probably says, good morning. And what's their reaction? They're afraid. They are scared. And I think it's because you talk about a, a demonic power that can possess a person and, and harm a person in, in that way. That's scary. But you talk about the kind of power that can dominate a legion of demons, that's downright terrifying. And that is the kind of power that Jesus has. Story continues on. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man. And they told about the pigs as well. And this is when in the story you would kind of expect now people are starting to believe in Jesus. It's like, whoa, if he can do that, like, let's put our faith in him. And now they start to bring all their friends who are sick or their relatives, somebody in their village who has a demon as well, and Jesus heals them all. This is what you would expect to happen, right? But it's not what happens. Look what, look what actually happens. Verse 17, then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. It's like, thank you very much. You need to go. They asked Jesus to leave. Why? Why aren't they believing in him? Why aren't they bringing their sick friends? I think their whole understanding of what's normal has just been shattered, and they're freaking out. Also, think about this. A herd of 2,000 pigs in the ancient world, that's worth a fortune. And that fortune just went over the cliff. You see, Jesus has significantly disrupted this entire community and they, they want him to leave. And this story illustrates something important about Jesus that we need to wrestle with, that we need to come to terms with, and that is that Jesus is incredibly disruptive. You see, Jesus wants to bring his order, his peace, his wholeness, his harmony into your life and into your family and into your community. But in order to do that, he's going to have to disrupt the status quo in your life. There is darkness in each one of us that Jesus wants to disrupt so that we can experience greater life 
in him. And I wonder what that darkness is that he wants to disrupt in you. It could be it's a pattern of coping with stress. An unhealthy pattern where, where you just numb out stress when you're overwhelmed with those feelings. Or, or perhaps you try to control everything and everyone when you get overwhelmed. Or maybe you just run, you just escape. But it's an unhealthy pattern and Jesus wants you to experience his peace. But in order for that to happen, he's gonna have to disrupt normal in your life. Or maybe the darkness he wants to disrupt is an unhealthy pattern of relationships. Relationships with, with poor emotional boundaries or, or poor uh, physical boundaries. And he wants you to experience wholeness in your relationships. But in order for that to happen, he's gonna have to disrupt you. Or maybe the darkness that he wants to disrupt is some kind of addiction. And let's just be honest, all of us are addicted to something. And yeah, for some of us, it's a substance. For others of us, it's an addiction to approval or success or video games or sex or spending, but we're all addicted to something. And Jesus wants us to experience freedom, the kind of freedom that only he can give, but in order for that to happen, he's gonna have to disrupt what's normal in your life. And the question for each of us is this, will you let him do it? Will you allow him to disrupt you or will you do what the people in this story do? Ask him to leave, send him away. You see, every one of us has an area of our life where Jesus wants to disrupt us to bring healing and peace and wholeness, but we have to let him do it. You know, there's a, a prayer that I use. Uh, I, I, I do like a prayer journal in the, in the morning, and there's a prayer that I use um, some of the time <laughs> on the days where I'm feeling brave. Because the prayer goes like this, Jesus, I invite you to disrupt me today. And I'll be honest, I don't always feel like praying that prayer. But I think for some of us, just where we're at and how we sense God moving in our life today, that that prayer is something you just might need to stop today and just, Jesus, I invite you to disrupt my life today. And maybe that's what you need to pray. But the people in this story, the, the community where this event has taken place, they, they're not willing to be disrupted. They asked Jesus to leave, and so he's headed now back to the boat that brought him to this region. And it's at the boat where there's going to be a second encounter with this guy who used to have a legion of demons. And so this brings us to the third part of our story. Uh, the final part, it's, uh, it's called discipleship. Now, discipleship is just, it's a churchy Bible word. It means follower. You know, Jesus' first followers were called his disciples. Uh, essentially, the word means apprentice. So that's what this, uh, this conversation is going to be about. Uh, verse 18, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Now, this is good, right? 
This guy has been transformed by Jesus. He wants to follow Jesus. He wants to get in the boat. Jesus has 12 disciples. This guy wants to be number 13. This is great. This has got to be what Jesus wants, right? No, look at how Jesus responds. Go, uh, he said, uh, verse 19, Jesus did not let him. Jesus did not let him. It's like, I want to go with you. You can't. Why, why would Jesus do this? I mean, it seems rude. <laughs> what, Jesus, oh, I get it. It's because the guy's too unclean, he's too messed up. No, Jesus purified him. So what's the problem? Oh, Jesus doesn't want him to be a disciple. I don't think that's it either. I think that Jesus is calling this guy to a different kind of discipleship than the discipleship of his other 12 followers. And the reason is, is that Jesus has a different mission. He has a different purpose for this guy. But it's important to recognize it is not the mission, the purpose that this guy wants. And this is huge for us. Because Jesus won't always give you what you want. Jesus won't always give you what you think is best for you. And Jesus won't always give you what you think that you need. I mean, seriously. You might be thinking, okay, next year, that college, that school is the best option for me. Or you might be thinking, okay, that job, my whole career has been leading me to that job. You might be thinking, okay, that guy or that girl is the one for me. Or you know what, Jesus, you know what I really want, what I really need is to be healed. But what if you don't get into the school? What if you don't get the job? What if you stay single? And what if Jesus doesn't heal you? Sometimes Jesus doesn't give us what we want. And you know, we talk about trust a lot because trust is like a synonym for faith. And, and if you wanna be a disciple, you have to trust Jesus. You, you have to trust what he did for you on the cross to be forgiven. I mean, that's where discipleship starts, right? But discipleship also requires trust in his leadership. And what if his plan isn't your plan? And I just acknowledge that this is hard. This is difficult space. This is real life. And some of the thoughts that creep into your mind in moments like that is, is it's just kind of like, well, it just doesn't feel like Jesus cares. I mean, if this is what I really want, this, if this is what I really think is best for me and Jesus doesn't give it to me, it just, it just doesn't feel like he cares. And I know many of us wrestle with these kinds of thoughts. And I think there's something really helpful in this story along those lines. Because here's what Jesus says to him. Uh, verse 19, Jesus did not let him, that is, get in the boat, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Go home to your own people. Just, just think about the humanity of this story for a moment. This guy is a family. This guy came from a village. And you just got to ask the question, what, what has his family been through? And the people that he grew up with, what have they been through? And how long has he been out there in the hills and in the tombs 
screaming and hurting himself? And what is it like to, to lose hope that somebody that you love is ever going to get healthy? And Jesus sends this guy back to his people. I think he wants to reunite them. And so something I see in this story is just that he doesn't give the guy what he wants, but he gives him what he and his family and his village need, restoration and healing. And I just think that this reveals something about God's heart, his love and his care and actually his wisdom and understanding the full story of what's going on and what is needed. And the truth is sometimes God won't give you what you want, but I do believe he will always give you what you and perhaps what the people around you need. And so discipleship requires trust. And when we understand God's heart of love and care, I just think it's a lot easier to trust him. So discipleship is about trusting God. It's about trusting his leadership, but it's also about something else. It's about mission and it's about purpose. And I already mentioned that Jesus has a different purpose for this guy. And so same thing that Jesus said, let's look at it from a different angle. Jesus says, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Jesus says, go to your people and tell. Two words, go and tell. Go and tell what God has done. This is a unique purpose that God has given this person, uh, this man, to go to his own people and tell them what God has done. And so he does it. Verse 20, so the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis, because that's where he's from, how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. This guy You see, here's the thing. Jesus has a unique mission for this guy because he is from the Decapolis region. These are his people. He can relate to them in a way that Jesus' other disciples from Galilee never could because they're his people. He knows them. They know him. He can speak their language. He knows their culture, their customs. They grew up together. He can speak the language of those people, so he's uniquely positioned to go and tell what God has done. And I believe this mission, this purpose, it's not just for this guy. It's for you, and it's for me as well. Because you have people and you speak the language of your people. No one can speak the language of your family like you can. No one can speak the language of your friend group like you can. No one can speak the language of your office, of your generation like you can. And so Jesus gives us this mission, go and tell what God has done in your life and share how he has shown mercy to you. Go and take his message, his gospel to your people. Go and tell. And also, Jesus wants to use the very darkness that this man has walked through to share his gospel. Go and tell what God has done. He's liberated you from from demonic oppression, from the power of darkness. And I believe that this is also for us. I believe that Jesus wants to use the very darkness that you have been through or are going through to share his message of truth and love to your people. 
Because some of you have experienced the darkness of anxiety or depression, and you can speak the language. You can relate to someone who is experiencing anxiety. And so go and tell them how God has met you in that space and provided for you. Some of you can speak the language of loneliness. Some of you can speak the language of loss and grief. Some of you can experience you can speak the language of rejection. And so Jesus wants to use the very darkness that you have been through to powerfully share his message of hope to your people. And so go and tell them what God has done. This is a mission, a purpose for all of us to step into. So let me wrap this up. We've kind of been, uh, well, we've covered a lot of ground. This is a crazy story. So, so let me wrap up by returning to these three words that we've been looking at. And as you look at these words, I, I just want to ask you, um, why do you think God brought you here today? Why do you think God led you to watch the live stream? What is it that he has for you? What's he calling you into? And maybe it just has to do with this word darkness. And maybe today you just needed to be reminded that he came for you, even though you're unworthy, messed up, and unclean, and he has the power to purify you. Maybe that's what you needed to be reminded of today. Maybe, maybe it has to do with disruption. That you just, you just know, you can just sense that God wants to disrupt something in your life, that he can bring life, and you, you just need to let him do it. You need to allow him to do it. Or maybe it's this word, uh, discipleship. It has to do with trusting him. It has to do with this mission that God has called all of us to, to go to our own people, to go and to tell. My hope for you this week is no matter what it is, is that you would experience deeper and richer life in Christ as you trust him more and more. And so, Heavenly Father, as we close our time, we, we first pause to just give thanks to you for your scriptures that guide us, that reveal truth, that reveal what's in us. And God, I also just lift up before you uh, brothers and sisters uh, who are walking through darkness, who are sick, who are lonely, who are suffering, who are scared. God, would you meet them in a special way, in the way that only you can? Would you provide your presence would you surround them with other brothers and sisters to support them? And God, would you give them the ability to trust you in this space? God, we love you, we honor you, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for being here today. We'll see you next week.